Praise God, and it is great to be with you. I wish you to turn in your Bible to John chapter 14. We're going to read in chapter 14, verses 15, 16, and 17. And then when I finish reading that, I just switch over to chapter 16. I go from 14 to 16, and I begin at verse 7. So there's two sections, and both sections are on the same theme. Christ Jesus was promising that he would have a substitute, one who would come after him to take his place, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. The unique, wonderful office of the third person of the Trinity who comes to take Christ's place and the, an outline of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. John 14, verse 15, If ye love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And John sixteen seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father. And ye See me no more of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. The excellence and majesty and ministry of the Holy Spirit who is to be the vicar of Christ, the one who is to take his place. It is just wondrous, and of course there are many other places in scripture where it speaks about him. There we saw that he reproved of sin, righteousness and judgment. It is he who shows you that you're a sinner and that you need the Savior and regenerates you from deadness to life as you believe on Christ Jesus. And so it is he in whom there is the power that we are born again, the power of the Holy Spirit, the one who came and took Christ Jesus' place. And how great is this power, we are told in the first chapter of Ephesians, chapter 119 
and 29 the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead your spiritual life by the Holy Spirit's awakening of you is the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead it shows the mighty power the influence the ministry of the Holy Spirit because of the Spirit we live the Christian life now it is important that we study this topic of vicar of Christ the comforter the one who was to come because we have a man sitting in Rome a new pope who like the popes before him claim to be vicar of Christ I'd like to read the exact words of the catechism Cardinal Ratzinger was responsible for this catechism under the last Pope John Paul II he was the cardinal responsible for this teaching and the writing of this teaching so the present Pope with the authority of the last Pope gave this official teaching it is paragraph 882 of this book you can find the book online and it's very easy to pick it up at a second hand bookstore or any, any place that you wish to get it online or in a second bookstore or a Catholic bookstore paragraph 882 the Pope, Bishop of Rome and Peter's successor is the perpetual and visible source and foundation of unity both of the bishops and of the whole community of the faithful for the Roman pontiff by reason of his office as vicar of Christ and as pastor of the entire church has full supreme and universal power over the whole church a power which he can always exercise so this Pope Benedict the 16 claims to have universal power over the whole church worldwide a power that he can always exercise that he is the substitute for Jesus Christ now that any man would dare say that such, such a thing is absurd and blasphemous when you know the majesty and power of the one divine person who has supreme power universal immediate and full power to have that type of power you need to be divine to be immediately present in everybody's life who is a believer universally across the world you need to be divine because no human being can be immediately present or universally operative worldwide it is a divine role and only filled by a divine person so it is a biblical mandate that at this present time we study the office of vicar of Christ this presentation this morning is actually in print and you can get copies of it afterwards I'd ask that you study it 
because it is now part of daily conversation. People are talking about the papacy and this new pope. So I'd like that you would know this paragraph and these sections so that you can explain to precious Catholics that there is a vicar of Christ who dwells in the hearts and souls of each believer but does not sit enthroned in a mitre in Rome calling himself the vicar of Christ. So we have to see then the supreme, universal and full power of the Holy Spirit. How did the Apostle Paul explain how the Holy Spirit works universally and in each heart of each believer? One of the places was in 2 Corinthians 3 where he said, now the Lord is that spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty but we all with open face beholding as in at last the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even by the spirit of the Lord so daily each individual believer is changed from glory to glory by the grace of God by the operation of the Holy Spirit. It is not just that our initial salvation began by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that we were by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, we were brought to new life and faith in Christ Jesus, but daily he sanctifies us, he convicts us when we sin, he leads us, he guides us, in the words of scripture he opens them to us I'm sure you're aware as I am so aware sometimes the, the words just light up for you on the page because the Holy Spirit is showing you what you are to know and how it is to be applied to your life so the, the wondrous might power majesty of the Holy Spirit and how much should we treasure and worship the vicar of Christ because he also is God now these divine attributes of the Holy Spirit the Catechism of the Catholic Church continues to say that they belong to a man sitting in Rome in paragraph 937 of the same Catechism they continue about the Pope the Pope enjoys by divine institution supreme, full, immediate and universal care and universal uh, power in the care of souls. Supreme, full, immediate and universal. So the Pope is able to effect his ministry worldwide immediately not by mediation but immediately in the care of souls that is only a work of a divine Holy Spirit to be immediately present with each individual that anybody would even begin say such divine attributes of a man who sits in Rome 
calling himself the Holy Father and the Vicar of Christ is really more than outlandish, it is sacrilegious. Now, in the history of Roman Catholicism, it didn't begin like this. The first bishops of Rome, in actual fact, were true believers. It was a church that began, Paul began praising the Roman church. He didn't mention Peter because Peter wasn't there. But he praised the Roman church for their faith that was known throughout the whole world. It did start as a Bible-believing church, different actually churches in different parts of the city under local elders. So it started as a Bible-believing church. But as the centuries went by, after the fall of Rome and the barbarians came in, and they took over control of what had been a lot of the Roman Empire. And uh, we had the emperor who went to Constantinople. The bishop of Rome began to call himself the vicar of Caesar. He was looking for power that had been the Caesar's power. And so he was claiming to be vicar of Caesar because he wanted not simply spiritual power, but he wanted power over people's lives civilly. And so we get early bishops uh, claiming to be the representative of Caesar. And in some of those early centuries, some of the monarchs and other bishops or elders of churches began to recognize the Bishop of Rome as Vicar of Caesar. And gradually, he was even given the title that the Caesars used to have, Pontifex Maximus, the chief bridge maker or chief mediator. It was a the pagan priestly title that the uh, emperor had as Caesar. He got that title. He still has that title to the present day also. It's not that he discarded that title. He went on to try and get more titles. So he kept his title as Pontifex Maximus. It's actually a pagan title that was um, one of the titles of the Caesar or the emperor. Then they claimed to be the vicar of the prince of the apostles. They said it in Latin, the caries principis apostolorum, the vicar of the prince of the apostles, the vicar of Peter. And this was a battle for many centuries where they, the bishops of Rome tried to prove that they took the place of Peter who had been first bishop of Rome. Now why was that a problem? to show that you were a vicar of Peter, you took Peter's place. It was a big problem because there was no record of Peter ever even visiting Rome, let alone being bishop of Rome. So if you're trying to say you're taking his place as, you know, bishop of Rome, first bishop of Rome, there's no record in the scripture of Peter ever going to Rome. Paul addresses the believers in Rome by name 
mentions many of them. Peter is not mentioned. He writes many letters, as we know Paul, and mentions believers all over the place. Never mentions Peter being in Rome. There's no other mention made. If it were important, if the Holy Spirit thought that this was a a key pin to our faith, the Holy Spirit would have told us that Peter went to Rome. So, this was a difficult battle to prove something where you had no mention of it in Scripture. But these men persevered because it was a notch on their climbing to power that they needed to say that they took the place. They were vicars of the prince of the apostles. And so, a bishop, Innocent I, in 401, he was bishop from 401 to 417, he uh, claimed this power not only to be Peter's successor, but to possess his prerogatives and the power that Peter had, they said, uh, over the, all the believers. And um, Peter, of course, did not um, exercise that type of leadership. We see Peter's leadership at the first council of believers and he was not in that way domineering or lording over others and he forbids that actually in his letter this type of lording it over others but they're still claiming that that was his power and that was the power that they had inherited then Boniface III who was Bishop of Rome in 607 he claimed the title of universal bishop and he represented the he was vicar to from all, for all other bishops he represented bishops worldwide so this was a further going up the ladder of power now you claim to be vicar of caesar vicar of peter prince of apostles and vicar of other bishops that you represent all other bishops and you have authority over all other bishops. So that was Boniface the third in 607. Then in the 8th century, and so it's fairly late, we have the title Vicar of Christ. It first appears in a fraudulent forgery called the Donation of Constantine. It was a forgery made to look as if it was written in the time of Constantine and it was written in the later Middle Ages as a forgery. Even the type of Latin it is written in is not the Latin of the first century. It was shown to be absolutely f- uh, a, a, a fraud and a forgery in the 16th century conclusively. But it was used in all those centuries and it's still used. And it's still the present title, Vicar of Christ, Vicarius Fidei Dei, became the official title of the Pope of Rome. And this power is addictive because you're claiming now to have universal and immediate power over all believers worldwide. And that type of claim has been addictive. So there's all types of preposterous statements made by the man who claims to be 
the representative of Christ as his substitute taking his place as his vicar for example he has a code of laws and one of the laws 14.04 says the first sea is judged by no one nobody judges me and there is no there is no claim or no revision against a decree of the Roman pontiff that's canon 303 he cannot err later on he claims to be infallible so it is a preposterous title and this is what the world loves you see it all over television, radio, newspapers and the world loves the power and the glory that go with it but it is in biblical terms horrendously evil because of the place of the one that the Pope is claiming to take the very Holy Spirit of God the present Pope Benedict XVI is not an unknown personage he was very well known because he has headed up what was the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith he lived in the same building that used to be called the Office of the Inquisition it was the same actual physical building where the commands went out for 605 years to persecute believers and where we had the horrendous tortures massacres brutal murders and burning at the stake of possibly up to 50 million people by Rome all headed up by the office of the inquisition and that was his post as head of the office of the inquisition but because the name had got a little bit of a bad reputation they changed it and called it the holy office and then they changed the name to Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith it was the same office to defend Rome outrightly so much so that you condemn believers and that was the office he headed up and he showed his colours even as cardinal and quite famous was in the year 2000 and I have a whole article on this on our internet webpage it was a document he published under the authority of the last Pope called Dominus Isus. That's the Latin for Lord Jesus. That's how it begins in Latin, Lord Jesus. But it has nothing to do with Lord Jesus. It's got to do with the power of the Roman Church and the power of the Pope. And the absolute... Uh, non-existence and non-recognition of, of Bible-believing churches. Um, I'd like you maybe to read sometimes my analysis of that document. It's online, on the internet. But just to see, for example, some paragraphs from it. Paragraph 22, the present Pope said that the Roman Church is the only 
instrument for salvation for all humanity. It is the only instrument. There's no other instrument or church for the salvation. So, claiming that they alone are the instrument of salvation. And then in paragraph 17, and this shocked a lot of people back in the year 2000, he talked about Bible-believing churches as not churches in the proper sense, not churches at all. And the exact words from paragraph 17 were the following, the ecclesial communities which have not preserved the valid episcopate and the genuine and integral substance of the Eucharistic mystery are not churches in the proper sense. So this present Pope would fail to recognize any Bible-believing churches. He says they're just not churches. So this is the mindset. And even though at his first Mass he claimed that he was going to have ecumenical relationships with churches, he doesn't really recognize them. They're really trying to bring churches back to the bosom of Holy Mother Church. The only way they see that they can be anyway is if they come back to Rome. So it is a mindset that shows you that this man is arch-conservative, die-hard Roman Catholic, and he has shown his colors already, even before he became Pope. He claims, like the popes before him, to exercise full, immediate and universal power. Now, it's a ludicrous title, but how do they try to put it into practice? Now, he cannot be in every nation at the same time or right across the world, but he tries still to manipulate and to exercise his authority worldwide in every nation. How does he do this? He has a pyramid of hierarchical power that starts with the cardinals, the patriarchs, the major archbishops, the metropolitan archbishops, the coadjutor archbishops, the diocesan bishops, coadjutor bishops, ordinary bishops, episcopal vicars, Eparchs, apostolic vicars, apostolic prefects, apostolic administrators, vicar generals, down to the priests. And I was one of those for 22 years. So this is a, a worldwide hierarchy, a chain of command, like in the military, where you obey your higher authority. I would demand that my people in my parishes obey me, because I would say, because I obey the bishop. And the bishop obeys the Pope. We were in a chain of command. And of course in the Bible there's no hierarchy. <laughs> you go and look in your Bible, you will see that Christ Jesus said, One is your Lord and Master, and ye are all brethren. Brothers and sisters in Christ and one of the brethren has the office of being pastor, more responsibility to preach the word and teach the word, but he is not 
elevated to a higher notch on any hierarchical scale. He's one of the brethren. So, this is uh, the Roman church and it also has the civil power. The whole idea of being vicar of Caesar still continues. The Vatican is also a civil power. It has 172 ambassadors, civil ambassadors in nations of the world, including the United States. Under Reagan in 84, it was reinstituted because Congress had objected to it before, and Reagan reintroduced it because there were so many Bible believers objecting to have civil relationship with the one who sat on the seven hills of Rome. But President Reagan reintroduced ambassadors. So we have papal nuncios coming to the United States. And because they claim to be the oldest nation, they become the president of the uh, group of ambassadors. So there's an ambassador's meeting. The man with the lady's dress, you know, with the robes, takes the place of being president. All the others are in the business suits, but one has a maxi. And he is the vicar of the vicar of Christ. And we have that here, even here in the United States. We have concordats made by which nations in their civil law become obedient to the Vatican. That is power. Whereby your educational laws, your health laws and regulations become subservient to a power that is alien. It is frightening to see the power of Rome. I have an article on the web called Civil Control or Vatican Power Through Civil Law. It's frightening to read if you want to read it sometime. But the power of the Vicar of Christ in civil law, we're not talking about religious law. It was civil law in the Inquisition that people were taken up by the civil power and put to death because Rome had a relationship with all the civil powers. And if we were to have persecution again, it's not that a bishop turns up at your Baptist store, it's the police come to say that you are in hate crimes or that if you're going door to door, you are practicing hate. We are beginning to get some of these laws beginning to develop already in the United States. It is frightening to see the power of this man that claims to be the vicar of Christ. The office of the real vicar of Christ we saw was to glorify Christ. That is the supreme office of the true vicar of Christ. He shall glorify me for he shall receive of mine and shall show it to you. Just as the Father is glorifies Christ in heaven, on earth the true vicar of Christ glorifies and exalts all that Christ Jesus did. He exalts not himself, he exalts Christ Jesus. The office of the vicar of Christ is to show forth Christ. The vicar of Christ, the true vicar of Christ, shows the glory of Christ in the truthfulness of the word, the written word, in giving us the Old Testament, in opening the word of God to us. 
he shows us that he is the spirit of truth so Christ said thy word is truth he shows us that truth and convicts us and leads us in the word of truth that he is glorifying Christ he's shown us the excellence of Christ he's leading us to a deeper walk with Christ he is sanctifying us day by day in, in our Christian life so that we are conformed to the image and likeness of Christ and so the, the office of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ Jesus and this he does what does the so-called vicar of Christ do it's the exact opposite he does not glorify Christ or he does not glorify the written word he claims that his church has equal love for tradition as the word of God now nobody can equally love tradition as they do their bible it's like a man saying to his wife well I love you honey but I also love my secretary the equal love you know we don't have equal love for anything on the level of our love for the written word of God and they have an equal love for tradition and then they go so far as to say that this same vicar of Christ has infallible teaching authority and canon um, uh, canon uh, 972 says or I beg your pardon 752 that you are to submit your intellect and will to the vicar of Christ you submit your intellect because he has infallible teaching authority so the attribute of God inerrancy they claim for the same man and you've got to see that the major enemy of the gospel is not atheism immorality homosexuality or abortion these are all great evils the major enemy of the gospel is the one who pretends to be something he is not it's apostasy Christ warned of apostasies and other people calling themselves Christ the apostle Peter warned about false teachers coming many false teachers the same that Paul warned about many and there would be grievous wolves coming in and one would sit in the temple of God calling himself God so the major Detriment to the gospel is not all these horrendous evils but apostasy one who claims to have divine power and is a fraud because he opposeth and exalts himself above all that is called God and showing himself to be God this was done just as the last Pope was elected Cardinal Beacon came to the balcony after the white smoke had appeared you know, from the chimney and all the other drama that went on Hollywood couldn't have done it better uh, the Cardinal Beacon appears at the balcony and said Habemus Papam we have a father there was a spiritual father now for believers worldwide. Habemus Papam. Annuncio Vobiscum Habemus Papam. I announce to you we have a father. 
Why is this so blasphemous? Because Bible believers all have a father. When the Holy Spirit has convicted us of sin, righteousness and judgment, we have been born again and we stand in Christ's righteousness before the All-Holy God. And so the Creator, the All-Holy God, we can call Dad or Papa, Father. It is awesome. We have a Father and we are allowed to call Him Father. And it is so, so augustly sacred that Christ says, Call no one your Father on earth, for one is your Father and He is in heaven. It is so sacred to the believer that we are told in a spiritual sense never to use the word Father in a spiritual sense except of our Heavenly Father. And so we have somebody in Rome calling himself the Holy Father. How clear do you want it spelled out? He calls himself the Holy Father and the Vicar of Christ. Two divine titles. What does Scripture say? Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 4. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God showing himself that he is God. How brilliantly clear do you want Scripture to be fulfilled? Baptists, right through the Anabaptists before the Reformation, lived because they knew that they knew the Christ and the Antichrist. They could give their lives for the true faith because they knew who Christ was and they knew who they were suffering under, the Antichrist, sitting even at that time calling himself Holy Father. They knew their scripture. They knew the one whose colors were scarlet and purple and who physically sat on the seven hills of Rome, who had the golden cup and had pearls and fine linen and all the majesty and pomp. They knew they didn't have to be told and they were not looking to the future for some antichrist to come and put a computer chip in your brain or some of the things that we're now told, you know. They knew reality because they knew history. They knew reality. They faced this reality. The vowed while the Waldenses, some of the real true Bible-believing Anabaptists and then the men and women of the Reformation and for 605 years of, of torture, they knew that they were suffering for the true Christ and that the real enemy of the gospel was the one who purported to be the Holy Father or the Vicar of Christ. And so in our day, we have to be conscious of these things and to defend the faith. There are very few churches where I can come and say this, these sort of things because it's not ecumenically polite. <laughs> it's not considered loving and it's not considered that um, it is, doesn't fit in the line of Chuck Colson, James Dobson, who all recognize Catholicism, Bill Bright, Campus Crusade, J.I. Packer, R. Skinner, and I could go on and on of leading evangelical names, Billy Graham, Louis Palau. All of these men support the papacy. Billy Graham has gone and kissed the Pope's ring, done errands for him, the last Pope 
and of course was a great friend of the Archbishop of Chicago for many years and has priests and nuns at his crusades so when people come up to make their commitment which is a commitment and not a real act of faith if you see the way the message is given but we have people going to be sent to priests and nuns and other Catholics and be sent back to the Catholic Church and now having done another ritual they think they have the best of both worlds abominations and we live in an age where few it is seldom that I ever amass anything now except independent Baptist churches because few want to listen to this they want their ears tickled so it's for you men and women to contend for the faith and the young people on the internet by email there's a war going on too to contend for the faith I'd ask you young people who have been born typing (laughs) and know your computer you know, inside out, that you would go to our webpage and that you would send people emails, that you would download our MP3s, which are downloaded by the thousands, and that you would give them to others. You know, our audio and written messages. There's a war out there, and this message has got to go out. And we need the witnesses. You shall be my witnesses. Go ye is meant to mean that you go and you give the witness. When you're at the supermarket, you witness. You give testimony. It's more than likely here in Rome, it's probably 75% certain that the person at the checkout counter is Catholic. So you go and you have your tracks. I give them what every Catholic should know. know. We have some of these out on the table. And uh, it is amazing how God causes his word to go forth and be fruitful. You do the same at the bank. You do the same when the UPS man comes. You do the same at your hairdresser. And you give the word. And let the results be with the Holy Spirit who convicts and draws people unto himself. But you show the true Christ and you show the one who opposes him. So this is what I'm asking you to do. In the Sunday school hour, I will be showing in this chart, Thy Word is Truth, many of the other abominations that this Vicar of Christ holds. So he is not the Vicar of Christ. He is false. So we pray that we would have the power of the Holy Spirit, the leading of the Holy Spirit, And we'll be able to speak the truth in love or with a clarity so that people would see and know that there is one Lord Jesus Christ and one Comforter, one Holy Spirit who has taken his place. And that the gospel is the power of salvation. Praise God. Amen and amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.reformation.com. 
swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.